Good morning, FGA family. How are we doing out there tonight, today, tomorrow, this morning, whatever time it is? I don't know. Apparently, we have the same time zone in Brisbane, but uh, I'm acting like I have jet lag. <laughs> Man, I, I am so blessed to be here. I consider you all family, and I bring greetings from every nation, Brisbane, the church that I have the honor of pastoring. And I consider Chris and May and some of my dearest friends in this nation. And, you know, when I, I uh, you know, on this side of the pandemic, I've been very selective in choosing uh, the opportunities that come my way to, to uh, speak. Not that I get many, like heaps, but like I do get them. And when I get them, you know, how many of you know, like things have changed during this pandemic, that you have to be a lot more selective. And uh, when I mentioned to my wife that, Hey, uh, Pastor Chris and Mayen invited me to come up to FGA. She, without a shadow of doubt, she said, yeah, you must go to that one. Like, I think it's more to get me help. So I'm actually really blessed. Thank you so much, Pastor Chris and Mayen, for having me and all of your leadership team. I've been really, really blessed and really felt uh, the love. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm here to serve, but I have been served. And I counted an honor to to impart what I can to your spiritual family here. Uh, I do want to echo the sentiments of Pastor Chris as well. I think if there was ever a time we needed to pray, uh, it's now. And I think that, um, you know, my heart as a pastor as well is that we go deeper in God and we recognize the lessons that God has taught us during the last two and a half years of being in this pandemic that God has been trying to teach us because the worst thing that we can do is try to enter into a post-pandemic post existence and think that life's going to be like 2019. There are lessons that he's taught us, but unless we pause to reflect and hear him, because part of prayer is actually hearing God. It's a dialogue, not a monologue. <laughs> Isn't it funny? Like sometimes we treat prayer as if it's all about what we have to say to God. And God's like, uh, 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 wanna answer, bye. You know, like, it's not a quiet time because you haven't been quiet to hear him. So I just really want to, as well, just echo the sentiments of your pastor and your pastoral leadership here. Make it a point to be here next week. I wish I could be here next week. It's my, my heart for my church, and I think across the body of Christ, we definitely need to go deeper in prayer during this time. Can I get an amen from somebody who believes that? Amen. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna show you a photo of my family. This is my family here uh, behind me. <laughs> they do exist. Uh, my, my wife is Tina. She is, uh, we've been married for 15 and a half years and um, she's a Singaporean, Filipina, Filipina, Singaporean. So born and raised in the Philippines but spent more time in Singapore than the Philippines. So mabuhay to all my Pinoy's in the house. And uh, shout out to all my Singaporeans as well. Yeah, so all my children are born in Singapore. I spent eight years living in Singapore. I was born and raised in Auckland, New Zealand. Do we have any Kiwis here? Hallelujah. Shout out to you, my sister. Yes, yes. I'm the Kiwi. Awesome. Awesome. We need more Kiwis in this church. Come on need to reach them. I'm sure there's some in Box Hill. Come on. Uh, but um, yeah, so I was born and raised in New Zealand. I'm actually a Samoan by ethnicity, and um, my kids were all born in Singapore. Now we um, live in Australia, obviously in Brisbane, for the last eight years. So we call Queensland home, and uh, my kids are you know, still trying to figure out who or what they are. Uh, third, fourth, fifth culture kids. Um, but I, I just love that my children have all of these multicultural experiences because it, it won't be strange to them when they get to heaven, you know, <laughs> right? Um, so that's my family. This, was, this photo is actually taken at the, uh, up in uh, Whitsundays as we were getting ready to dive. And this was like the moment that things opened up, we booked ourselves a trip just to get out for a bit. And how many of you know, like, this has been a season where we need that time to get out and reflect a little bit. And relationships are important. That's why I love FGA, because you value relationships. You're a very relational church, much like my church, and we value relationship as well. Um, I want to show you this next photo. This uh, photo here is of my, um, my mother with my kids. I'm hitting this. 
Is it going? There we go. So as you can see, my eldest daughter's name is Nazareth. Then my son is Zion. And then my youngest there is Jordan. And they're all outgrowing uh, their grandmother there. So this, was, this photos were taken about two and a half weeks ago because uh, we got to spend time with, um, with my, uh, my, my mom, their, their grandmother, um, as she uh, came up from Sydney. She lives down in, in Campbelltown in Sydney. And um, it's been a hard time, right? Like, even though she's not that far away geographically, but not being able to see family. How many of you have not been able to see some of your family throughout this period, throughout this time? And so the moment that, that she was able to travel, uh, we got it, we flew her up, and it was the most monumental time just to be able to see her in the flesh. Zoom can only go so far, right? But there was a period around the end of January where my mom contracted COVID. She had been vaccinated and all that sort of stuff, but like, uh, it hit her pretty hard. My mom is 78, and um, although she's relatively healthy, uh, there was a, a, a night in January where she messaged me on Facebook Messenger. My, my mother is the pastor of Facebook, <laughs> if, if you know what I mean. She goes around on every single person she knows, and I'm praying for you, princess of God. You know, like this is my mom. But I noticed that the posts were getting less and less towards the end of January, and I knew she was sick. And then there was one particular night where she was starting to contemplate whether she was going to make it. Like, it had gotten that dire. And I, I heard from my sister. She said, uh, my sister, who's based in Auckland, uh, in New Zealand, she said, hey, mom just sent me all her jewelry. Like, that's that serious, Right. And so I called up mom that night because she, she messaged me, son, you know, if I don't make it, and like that full-on speech on, on Facebook Messenger. Like couldn't even Facebook, uh, like video call me because she, she felt like she, she had to go. She, she was like, you know, if I don't make it, son, just know I'll see you on the other side. Like all this sort of stuff. And I said, no. I, I, I messaged her. I, I text messaged her back and I said, Mom, do you think God's done with you? Do you think you've done everything that God's called you to do on, on earth? And she said, no, son, there's still a few things. Then I called her. I got all bold, called her on the phone, and I got her on FaceTime, right? Shout out, Apple. Um, got her on FaceTime, and, and then, uh, <laughs> that's how you divide a church. And I pulled her up on FaceTime, and she wasn't looking very well at, at, at the time, right? She, she was looking quite ill, and um, I called my girls in. For those of you who don't know um, who I'm meeting for the first time, my son is nonverbal. He's on the autism spectrum, so he doesn't have a full understanding of what's going on, but my daughters do. And uh, so I called my daughters over. My son was just happy, smiling and at the, behind us and playing. And, and so I called my daughters over and told them the situation before we called my mom. And of course, they're sad. They're really sad. I said, we're going to believe God because God told mom, God told your grandmother that he's not done. So we called her. And then uh, she, she answered the phone. Hi, hey, son. I said, mom, we're going to pray for you. I've got the girls here. They're going to pray for you. And they both started praying. They were full on tears. My youngest is in musical theater, so she went all the way drama with it. You know, like, <laughs> oh, Lord, we, we pray right now that you will come. Like, she's full on tears, everything, man. Like, and, and my, my, my eldest is a bit more subdued, but still, you know, full of tears. And so they began to declare God's healing over my mom, and I prayed for her. And then uh, she said, thank, thank you, son. I believe too. And I said, Mom, go and rest. So I, I hung up the phone, right? And I said to my girls, okay, I'm going to pray for you. You go to bed. And so I tucked them in. And, you know, I'm, I'm feeling like I'm trying to hold up this bold warrior. You know, I'm Samoan, so like the rock Dwayne Johnson. You go to bed if you smell what the rock is cooking. So, so like I'm, I, I shut the door and they tucked them into bed. And I'm like, you know, go to bed. All right, good night. And the moment I turn around, I'm like, God, you better come through. At that moment, I broke down because my faith was tested. 
the resilience of how much I trusted God was tested in that moment. And I know many of us in this room have faced situations like that. I mean, the photo I show you is obvious spoiler alert testimony that she's still alive and she's still, like she's more energetic now than she was before the, the pandemic. And that's all, all glory to God. But I turned around after I, I, I closed the door on my daughters. I said, God, you better come through because it's not just my faith that's going to be affected. You see those two little girls that are asleep right now? If you don't come through, they're going to be so disappointed. They'll be like, you're, you're a pastor, Dad, but your God doesn't work. So you better come through. It's on you. And like, I'm, I'm crying. You better come through. You know, the next morning I rose and she, you know, like all of the symptoms had subsided and she, she was healed. And we give God glory for that. Amen. But it hasn't always been like that in my family. Let's just be honest. Um, my wife, as I said, is from the Philippines, and she's lost, or we've lost. She's lost a sister-in-law and a brother-in-law to COVID and another sister due to other health complications during the last two and a half years. And we've prayed and we've believed. All three of them are followers of Christ, that God would heal them. Does that mean that God doesn't heal? Does that mean that God is not merciful? Does that mean that he's not faithful? Does that mean that I'm wasting my time, like we sang earlier, raising a hallelujah? It takes a resilient faith to actually emerge beyond our own disappointments to understand that he's still good and he's still merciful and that he who began the good work in us will be faithful to complete it and that God has an eternal plan beyond our limited scope and sure we face disappointment but when we look at the book of Psalms 150 Psalms more than half of them if you study the Psalms are actually laments complaints to complaints towards heaven my God my God why have you forsaken me will you not dash my enemy's foot against, uh, head against the stone like this the, these earnest cries of of God where are you this is this resilience that God wants to breed in the midst of worship and when I think about a biblical example of disappointment, I think about the resurrection. Of course, resurrection, of course, is the highest point of our faith, right? But there were people that didn't believe that Jesus had truly risen. Example here is from Luke chapter 24. If you have a Bible, you can go there, just in case you don't trust me in my screen. <laughs> But this is from the ESV. It says here, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that one, uh, he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Actually, I've skipped a part. Let me go back. I'll set it up. Here, here's what I'll do. So there's these two guys, right? They went to Jerusalem. And they went to go and see this Jesus who was being crucified, believing that he was going to be the revolutionary, at least in, in their own perception, uh, who was going to save all of Israel. Now, at that time, obviously, the Israelites were under Roman rule. And so they thought that this Jesus was the the Messiah promised throughout the Old Testament. But when they saw him crucified naked upon a cross and then buried, can you imagine the disappointment at the time? Can you imagine how they had put all of their faith towards this Savior that was supposed to come and deliver them out of the hand of the Roman Empire and he died the most cruel death that anybody could die and was buried in a borrowed tomb. And so here they are walking back to a place called Emmaus, which is about seven miles north of Jerusalem, roughly 10 kilometers, right? 
So if we go back to this passage here, this is the, these are the men, the two men, they're walking back, and Jesus is with them. The resurrected Jesus is with them, and he asks them why, why they're so sad, and this is where we arrive at this passage here. So they're disappointed because of Jesus, right? Verse 22, Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as women had said, but him they did not see. So they hear this news from the woman that, and they only hear half the story. They didn't find the body. So they're like, oh, forget this, man. Well, I'm going, we're going back to Emmaus, man. And so these two guys are there. But they have Jesus with them. <laughs> the resurrected Jesus. The, yeah, the reason why the tomb is empty is because he's hanging out with you right now, walking back to Emmaus. But they're so full of their disappointment that they fail to see that Jesus was with them all the time. And sometimes in our disappointment, we can miss the actual fact that Jesus is with us, never left us, never forsaken us. And sure, the plan doesn't go in accordance with our will, but it's not our will, it's his will that is being done. It's hard to process that. But the very one that was asking them, why are you disappointed? Why are you downcast? Is the one that they were seeking but their disappointment overshadowed the fact that he was with them. And so his answer to them, <laughs> oh, don't you love Jesus? Anybody here love Jesus? All right, in verse 25, it says, and he said to them, oh, foolish ones. <laughs> Jesus knows how to make friends. <laughs> oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe that all the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So in the trek from Jerusalem all the way to Emmaus, it would have taken roughly about two hours. And I know one of the aunties is getting ready to do an unpacking of of, of theology with you all. I, I encourage you to jump on that, but this is what Jesus was doing, right? He did a full-on Bible study with them and unpacked the whole Old Testament within that two-hour journey. They still didn't recognize him because they only saw him as an amazing Bible teacher. And so he's unpacking the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, and they're like, wow, that's, that's good. Yeah, that all points towards the Savior. And, and then he unpacks the prophets and the laws, and, and, and they're like really amazed. Yeah, you're right, you're right. That, that, that points towards this Jesus. Yeah, it's just a shame that he wasn't in the tomb. Like, where is this guy? And the next part says, so they drew near to the village. So they got to the venue at Emmaus, to which they, where they were going, and he acted as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly. I mean, he must have been an amazing teacher because they invited him for a meal afterwards. And I believe we're going to eat after this as well. Free meal. I'm a visitor here. I put my hand up. Um. <laughs> and they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is now far spent. And so he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. There's a reminder of a meal that happened just before the rebuke that Pastor Chris was talking about at Gethsemane. There was a last supper that we often see uh, on, on, in artwork, right? There was, a, there was a breaking of bread. And a statement, this is my body which has been broken for you, given out to the disciples to consume. There's a recognition. The lights are starting to turn on. Hmm, he's much more than a teacher. And their eyes opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road 
while he opened to us the scriptures. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with him, uh, with them gathered, saying, The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. What I love about Jesus is that despite their disappointment, he still hung around. And despite your disappointment, when things don't work out the way you want them to, as long as you show up, he's still around. He never gave up on you. Can you imagine like these two men walking and just airing out their disappointment and frustration, but still afraid to look into the eyes of the one who was teaching them to recognize who he was the whole time, always with them. How many of us have allowed disappointment to overshadow the fact that God's goodness still reigns and that God is still with us and that God is still faithful today in 2022 as he was in 2020 and 2021? You're still here and he is still good and he's still merciful. See, religion is not going to cut it in an hour like this. And that's why we need prayer. Not prayer is an act that is driven out of religious duty, but a pursuit of the delight when the one that has been resurrected and has saved us from sin. See, one of the greatest lessons you need to learn on this side of the pandemic is to not embrace the spirit of what Martha did as opposed to Mary. See, Martha was busy about her serving in Luke chapter 10, right? Jesus comes to her house. She owned the house. Martha was tight in the real estate game. She was watching her property rise. She's like, I'm, I'm sweet, I'm sorted. Praise be to God. Jesus comes over to her house, and Mary doesn't say anything about her real estate profile or portfolio, but she sits at the feet of Jesus and doesn't say much about Martha's positioning, but it does in, in, in her statement. But like, she looks at Mary and goes, mm-hmm, that's why you don't have a house. You're staying at mine. So she's busy about her serving in the house. But she's not too busy because she still finds time to complain. Isn't it amazing, right? If you're really busy, you don't have time to complain or compare. And she turns to Jesus and she says, Lord, what? can you tell my sister, Ay, you're this one now. So lazy Can you tell her to come and help me? Come and, look, we need to vacuum. Like, go get the Dyson and vacuum this house. Come on. I'm sitting here trying to prepare this meal, and all you're doing is sitting there listening to him. And Jesus says to her, you all remember his statement? He starts by saying, Martha, Martha. He says her name twice. Whenever Jesus says something twice, he's trying to get attention. You see, when you know somebody, you only have to call their name once. Those of you who are married here, right? Husbands, let me shout you out. If, if your wives say your name twice, you're in trouble. You should have heard it the first time, right? At least that's, I have a friend. I won't say that that's my experience. But like, when you know somebody, you only have to say their name once. But Jesus says her name twice. Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. You are distracted in your serving. I love that. She was distracted in her serving. But only one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen the right portion. doesn't mean that Mary was lazy, because those feet she was sitting at would eventually go somewhere, and that being seated at his feet actually empowers the mission. So we got it around the wrong way. And it's the reason why Paul talks about the gospel in Ephesians 2 and says that, you know, we are his workmanship, but he talks about that we are saved by grace through faith. It's not by our own works so that we can boast. But we are his workmanship prepared for good works. So there is work, but it's empowered by knowing him. It's empowered by recognizing that he's with us. But what has happened is that during this pandemic, we have 
been distanced from people being able to see us and see our work or we've been distanced from from opportunities to to like grow in the ways that we projected that we would grow and then this interruption this disruption that happens kind of forces us to actually see what we have put our trust in have we put our trust in Jesus and so the very things that we've put our trust in have been shaken. Right? We put our trust in our economic profile, and it's been shaken. Stock market, shaken. Crypto market, shaken. All of it's been shaken. We put our trust in government and government power, but of course there's never a more volatile conversation that you can have, and even, even within the church. The volatility and the differences in opinion, whether it's governmental parties as we prepare for our elections in a few days. We can't even talk. It's like, it's like in Kanto, we can't talk about Bruno. Like, we can't talk about the political parties that we affiliate with. You know, my, 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 my homeland in law, <laughs> the Philippines, just had their elections. And just the volatility of conversations, even amongst Christians, those who voted one way, those who voted the other way. How can you vote that way if you're a Christian? And we don't know how to engage in proper conversations because we don't know how to know each other because we don't know how to know God. This disruption actually presents an opportunity, actually presents a gift for us to be able to see and assess where our lives truly, really are. It's been a disruption, and many of you may have noticed, particularly here in the West and particularly in the United States, there's even been the questioning of how racist we've become and how divided, racially and ethnically divided we've become. And the church needs to be the model of that, of ethnic diversity. And being able to be a non-anxious presence in society. But how many of us have fallen into the trap of putting our trust in other things, only had to have those idols cracked and broken during this time? so that we can see the one who never disappoints or at least walks with us through our disappointment is Jesus. So I'm going to give you these three G's that will help us process as resilient worshipers. Hopefully you know by now that worship is not songs. Worship is offering, according to Scripture, Romans 12 verse 1 provides the only definition of what worship is. Worship is offering yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable before God, for this is your spiritual worship. I mentioned this to the, to the young people, to the youth at Fungus, that if I was to go to, I, I believe, is it called Springvale, the cemetery here? <laughs> Thank God for my old memory. It's still, still happening. But like, like the cemetery, if I was to go and do a service, I, I can't stand doing funerals. Like it's the worst part of my job, right? But, but you have to do it. Like when you're giving the final rites and, and you're, you're, you're praying for these, um, for the people uh, that, that are there at the funeral, can you imagine if I'm walking over to the burial site and as I'm walking over, I'm trying hard not to step on other grave sites as I go towards the grave site of where uh, the, the person is about to be buried. That, you know, and I can't help it. I, I have big feet. I have size 14 feet, all right? So I can't help it, just in case you go to Foot Locker. I, I like Jordans. Uh, so, uh, so I'm trying to, you know, tread around the, the, the grave sites, but, uh, you know, I accidentally step on one. Can you imagine if somebody underneath says, oh, it's so heavy, get off. That wouldn't happen, right? You know why? Because dead people don't complain. If you're really a living sacrifice, then why are we hearing complaints from our altars? If we're, if we're really, you know, in a, in a position of, of worship. Now, don't get me wrong. There is a place for those complaints, but they go to heaven. They go towards God, and, and God provides us the safety of, of the place of lamenting towards him. There is a place for that expression. But he wants to help us walk through this. Now, I'm going to give you these three Gs that will help you to process. Now, I don't know about you, but this first G of grieve has been so vital for me in processing loss. 
Now, I don't desire a show of hands, but would venture to say that every single one of us have have lost something or someone during the last two and a half years. Maybe it's not death. Maybe it's relationship. Maybe there's been, you know, tearing away at relationships that, that you've had or they've been tested. Maybe it's jobs. Maybe it's an economic situation. Maybe it's people, you know, like that, that, that had to move away that you had close relationship with, but because of the pandemic had to move. Like we've all lost something. There's been grief that needs to be processed. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, that blessed are those who mourn. God will comfort them. He promises us his comfort. And FGA family, one thing I know you guys do well is relationship. But the deeper those relationships go and the more authentic those relationships go, how many of you can see the possibilities of helping people process their grief within the beauty of spiritual family here? That this is a safe place for people to bring their grief. See, I kind of came up around, in my faith journey, uh, around a, a bunch of people that kind of sweep that grief under the carpet. Come on, you can do it. They're more like gym instructions than pastors, you know. Like, Come on, one more, one more, one more. <laughs> pick it up, pick it up, pick it up. You can do it. And, and, and it's like, but, but I need to process this, what I'm, what, I'm, what I'm dealing with. I'm reminded of Paul, right, in 2 Corinthians. He talks about how he had a thorn in his side. Many scholars have differing, varying opinions on what that might be, but like he had something that he prayed that God would get rid of and God never got rid of it. And so he, his prayer changed to the point where he recognized that God's grace is sufficient, that in his weakness, he's made strong through God. Church, it's good for us to process grief with the Holy Spirit. Allow him to process that with us. So the second G is is gratitude. So, so although we've lost, although we may have lost things and people, we still have stuff. The fact that you have, like we sang earlier, breath in your lungs to pour out your praise is reason enough to be thankful. Psalm 100 says that we enter into his gates with thanksgiving. So if you want to enter into this position of, of worship, the entry point is gratitude. It's thanksgiving, being thankful for what you have. If you have a job, thank him for it. Don't take that for granted. If you have a family, thank God for them. Because we always have a tendency to focus on what we don't have or the season that we're out of, right? Single people won't thank until they're married. And married people contemplating, man, it would have been better if I was single. Like, just, just this... It's not of God, just saying. <laughs> but being thankful and content where you are. And then the last G is actually the gift. What do we mean by gift? I mean, this is radical. This, this becomes, this is where uh, the radicality of our, our worship, our authentic worship happens. Is when we can recognize that there are actually things that you have now that you didn't have two and a half years ago. There are new skills. How many of you have learned a new skill over the last two and a half years because you've had to pivot? Right? I know that this church was, wasn't doing some things it used to do before. I, you know, like I came in September of 2019 for an ACM conference here in this building, and now there's new things that are being done you know, heavy on the tech because we have to reach people differently. We have to engage with people differently. And, and these, these new areas of ministry are actually gifts that because of the pivoting that we've had to in, engage in, and many of you in your businesses and in your workplaces and in your families have had to pivot, and now you have the gift of a deeper understanding as to know how to operate and how to live out in this climate. So there are things you didn't have that you now have. But if we're, again, if we're so focused on our disappointment rather than giving that disappointment to God, then we'll miss it. My last point from that passage that I read earlier from Luke 
these two guys from the road to Emmaus. And this is why I really urge you, church, to make time to come next week. It's because we need to learn to reflect, pause, live a lot slower, at a slower pace. There's the Japanese um, theologian by the name of Kosuke Koyama. He wrote a book called Three Mile an Hour God. Based, and he starts the book off based off of that encounter that Jesus had with these two men at the road to Emmaus. And he says this, God walks slowly because he is love. If he is not love, he would have gone much faster. Love has its speed. It is an inner speed. It is a spiritual speed. It is a different kind of speed from the technological speed to which we are accustomed. It is slow, yet it is Lord over all the other speeds since it was the speed of love. It goes on in the depth of our life, whether we notice it or not, whether we are currently hit by a storm at three miles an hour. It's roughly five kilometers an hour. It is the speed we walk, and therefore it is the speed the love of God walks. I really want to invite you into this space of living unhurried. Living slower to the point where you can reflect and breathe and meditate on his word. Not feeling like you have to just do Christian activity out of duty. Because there's a couple of ways that you can hear the exhortation of your pastor this morning. There's one way that would cause you to think, oh, okay, Pastor Chris is telling me I need to do more. I need to pray more. Yes, you do. But it needs to be your lifestyle. Out of a lifestyle of walking and pacing yourself in accordance with the recognition of God's constant presence with you at all times. Psalm 34, right? I will bless the Lord at all times. That means you, you, to be aware of his presence at all times. How many of you know, like, when we live in a city like Melbourne or Brisbane, we can have a tendency to n- not know he is there with us because we're so distracted by many things around us that even the distraction of doing the work of the Lord can distract us from the Lord of the work. And so this morning I invite you just to slow down, to reflect on how good God is, knowing he is there. Because if we're constantly living for tomorrow, we're missing out on the opportunity to enjoy the day that the Lord has made and to rejoice and be glad in it. I'm not saying that preparation for tomorrow is wrong, but if we're living in that space of tomorrow, we fail to see what God is up to today. I just wanted to close and just sing this song for you and invite you actually into the space of worship where we can recognize that God is Lord amidst all that we might be dealing with. And it's based off of that psalm. I will bless the Lord at all times and his praise will continuously be on my lips. I wrote this song with three of my friends and it was after a conversation that I had with um, a number of missionaries that were so disappointed let's just say disappointed you know you invest into people and then they don't show up or they don't uh, or they they betray you I'll be with you to the end and this is the end and so I was trying to encourage them (laughs) <laughs> I was trying to encourage these pastors and these missionaries. They were in, uh, they were in uh, rural areas in Southeast Asia and, and other nations of Southeast Asia. And, and I just felt like, man, I need to get a scripture and get a hold of a, uh, a, a song or write a song that would be like a song that they can sing to process their grief and still be thankful for. So... I'm going to invite you all. I've got the lyrics at the back there.
So it goes like this. You can turn it up a little bit. moments in my darkest hour you're the God who hears me when I'm crying out for help when my faith is shaken and I'm all struck down you're the God who sees me you're the God who saves I will bless the Lord I will bless the Lord at all times. I will bless the Lord. I will bless the Lord at all times. In your lavish kindness, I've been washed in grace. You're the God who loves me, can't keep it to myself. I've got to shout your story, I'm going to sing your praise. God is mighty, you set my heart ablaze. I will bless the Lord, I will bless the Lord at all times. Can you sing that with me? I will bless the Lord, saying, I will bless the Lord. I will bless the Lord at all times. I will bless the Lord. I will bless the Lord. I will bless the Lord at all times. I will bless the Lord, saying, I will bless the Lord, I will bless the Lord at all times. And I can face the day, for you are strong to save, and I will bless you, Lord, at all times. And when you give and take, I'll stand on what you say, and I will bless you, Lord, at all times. And I can face the day, and I can face the day, for you are strong to save, and I will bless you, Lord, at all times, all times. And when you give and take, I'll stand on what you say, and I will bless you, Lord, at all times. I will bless the Lord. I will bless the Lord at all times. Can I call the worship team up real quick? I will bless the Lord. I will bless the Lord at all times. I will bless the Lord. I will bless the Lord at all times. I will bless the Lord. I will bless the Lord at all times. Let me just pray for you this morning, church. If I could just have every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're in a situation that maybe it's disappointment, maybe it's hardship. Maybe there's things that have happened that have shaken your faith. I just believe that this is a safe place to surrender whatever you're facing to a God that can be trusted. That in the scope of eternity, he is still faithful. He's still good. He's still a God who's fixed on finishing what he starts. If we'll just fix our eyes on him, the author and perfecter, the finisher of our faith. If that's you today, no one else looking around. Can you just lift your hands and surrender and say, God, I'm just surrendering my situation to you. I don't know 
how or what's going on, surrendering my situation to you. Lord, I just pray for every single one of my brothers and sisters who have their hands lifted and surrender, recognizing that you are the one who finishes what you start. You are faithful with us. You're faithful in our lives that the same God who, of the victories of the past will be the same God who enables us with your grace to walk in valleys of the shadow of death. Lord, we will fear no evil for you are with us, bringing us comfort and guidance at every step of the way. So we thank you for your presence that goes with us, God. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Isn't he good? And all the earth will shout your praise. My hearts will cry, these bones will say, Great are you, Lord. You can stand to your feet and worship us. And all the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry, these bones will say, resilient worship and we, we didn't coordinate what we were what he was going to say um, and then next week we're carving out space to pray from nine all the way to three I, I think God is trying to do something in the life of our church here in our midst where he's asking us to go at his pace and to have, to slow down, and to have that space to walk with God, to bring to Him maybe some of your hurt and your pain, to, as you deal with the things that are going on in your life, instead of going elsewhere to medicate it or distract yourself from whatever is going on, but to actually walk through it yes, yes. with God. Um, I'm going to close uh, the service now in prayer. Uh, food is only coming out at 12, so if you've got a little bit of time, please pick up your children after I close. But if you want 
can stay back here and come out and we'd love to pray with you. We'd love to journey with you. We'd love to uh, hear what God is doing in your life and maybe we can partner with you in praying. But don't let the season pass, please. Don't let the season pass. We're carving out space so that we can walk at the pace that God wants us to walk so He can deal with the things that need to be dealt with. Um, I want to encourage you just at a practical level. Um, you know, I, I, I grew up here in this church, so I know there's logistics involved. But maybe if, if, you're, if you think, oh, I can't make 9 to 3 o'clock next week. I've got children. You know, they're not going to last. Or uh, we've got things. Have some discussions. You can take turns. One of you can stay for a couple of hours, and then you can go back. You can swap husbands and wives. You can take shot. You can... You've asked for babysitting favors before for other things, to see a movie, to go or a meal. You can, you can do that. Uh, we've even got, we've got a kids program that's running from like, I mean, at 10 o'clock, all the kids are in here. And then at 11, we've got an actual program. So, you know, at least for a few hours, we've got, hey, we've got something that can happen, right? And I, I just think if we slow down a little bit. Clearly, that's the message that God is trying to get all of us to engage with. If we slow down, we'll catch God's voice. We'll catch what He's trying to do. I don't know what He's going to say to you, but you're going to miss it if we're not there waiting at the feet of Jesus. Let me pray. Father God, I pray for us as a church. Every single one of us, whether new first time here or a long time at FGA and in faith, I pray for myself, my family, our leadership team. Help us to take our instruction and our pacing and our life speed from you. Help us as this series talks to fear the Lord, to revere you, to come before you, Lord God. We surrender this church to you. We surrender our roster, our agenda, our itinerary, our program, our calendar, our hopes, our dreams, our worries, our activities. We surrender it to you, Lord God. Move mightily in us, not just in the church on Sunday, but in our lives at home as we leave this place. Be with us as we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Service is over. If I could ask if you could quietly make your way outside, you're welcome to stay. We're going to get the worship team to go on for a little bit longer. We'd love to come up and pray for you if you'd like uh, ministry as well. And then what we're going to do is food is only going to kick off at 12. Um, and the pre-orders and new visitors food, it's going to be available at the back of this sanctuary then. Thank you so much.